Word for You is presented by Grace Point Church in Lakewood, Ohio. We are located at the intersection of Warren and Alger and welcome you to visit us in person or online at gracepointlakewood.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-P-O-I-N-T-E-L-A-K-E-W-O-O-D dot com. Listen to podcasts of sermons from our pastor, Mike Bartolone, and various guest pastors. You will see that grace is always the point, and you are always welcome. to start off with the word truth, truth. If there's any a time or a day or a season that we need truth, it is now. And if, if you're waiting or if you're allowing what you watch on TV to be your truth, you've got problems. you just got to get into your word and you've got to study your word and get to even know what the word truth is about. Amen. We know what it says. Let's go to John chapter 8. You all know this scripture pretty well. But we'll go there. John 8. Jesus had a pretty uh, robust crowd that he was talking to that really wasn't in too much in love with him, trying to find ways to catch him and so that they could get rid of him. Because he was upsetting their religious establishment. Amen. But Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. The word know there is a strong word. And the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. I thought they were under the Roman Empire at this point. They answered him. Him, we are Abraham's descendants that have never been in bondage, bondage to anyone. How can you say, talking to Jesus, you know, they're talking there to their creator. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, if you go on and read the rest of John chapter 8, <laughs> it's kind of funny when they talk to Jesus, these people. They don't really get it. But let's go to, I don't have these uh, down on that paper, John, but... I just looked them up this morning. Let's go to Psalm 25, verse 5. Psalm 25, 
verse 5 says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and on you I wait all the day. The word truth there is a Hebrew word, and I don't, I don't pronounce Hebrew. I don't even, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm an Italian scholar. So, and the only thing I know is salami. <laughs> but the, the, the Hebrew word for truth is E-M-E-T. So I don't know how you pronounce it, E-M-E-T in Hebrew. I'm not a Hebrew guy. And it's taken from the Strong's uh, word. If you went to your Strong's book, it's 571, but it certainly means stability, truth, rightness, and trustworthiness. Emit drives from the verb aman, meaning to be firm, permanent, and established. It conveys a sense of dependability, firmness, and reliability. Truth is therefore something upon which a person may confidently stake his life on. That's what it says in the Strong's. David prayed that God's truth would continually preserve him in Psalm 40, verse 11. Scripture speaks of men of truth in Exodus 18:21, and the law of truth in Matthew 2, 6, and especially the true God, the God of truth in Jeremiah 10:10. Curiously, though, this word emit, E-M-E-T, is spelled with the first, middle, and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It's spelled with the first, the middle, and the last Hebrew letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And thus, the rabbis concluded that truth upholds the first and the last of God's creation and everything in between. That's just the Hebrew word. Now let's go to John chapter 4. Back to John. In John 4.24 it says God is spirit. Amen. My Bible doesn't want to cooperate today with the wind. Fighting me. John 4.22, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, this is the Greek word for truth. It's aletheia. Again, if I butchered that, you'll have to forgive me. We'll talk about forgiveness later anyway, so you'll have some help. <laughs> it's derived from a neg negative and Lathound to be hidden to escape. It is the opposite of fictitious or feigned or false, and it denotes um, veracity, sincerity, uh, integrity, truthfulness, dependability, and propriety. Isaiah chapter 5. This one is so appropriate for today. This scripture, one scripture. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. 
That's really a good quote for today. But when lies are rampant among us, which they are, God is unveiling the lies for us to see. Every lie will be revealed. So whether we know it or not, we have been misled over time to believe a lie. And when this happens over time, it then becomes very difficult to accept the truth when it is revealed. Accepting truth for most is a process over time. You know, when you read stuff in the scriptures, you've got to be honest. There's things that the Lord says that you have to come to grips with. I, you know, Jamie Buckingham years ago wrote a book, you know, The Truth Will Make You Free, but before it does, it'll make you miserable. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've had some miserable times reading my Bible when I didn't want to change, amen? And somebody recently told me, you shouldn't be using the word change anymore. And I said, what word should I be using? Enhance. <laughs> the Word of God enhances your life rather than changes your life. Of course, I'm still going to be using change. But when suddenly confronted by truth, the normal reaction, no matter what the subject, is to, to, is to deny it. When it contradicts the lie, we have, become, we have become to believe. See, truth is difficult to accept when we have become very comfortable with the lie. You're going to see, you see that a lot in this world today. There's a lot of people that have been lied to about a lot of things, and they're very comfortable being lied to. Very comfortable. But as it stands today in our lives, we must face the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when we have over time been blinded to the truth, the blindfold or blinded to the lie, the blindfold cannot just be suddenly removed. It's like taking a bandage. You ever have a bandaid on your arm, especially the hairy part, and you take that and you want to just rip it off? How many's ever had that experience? You know, that's that's why the, some of the hospitals, when you get put, they put band-aids on you. They shave you first, and when they're shaving you, you should be thanking them because it's a lot easier to come off when it's the hair is not there. Amen. But we will not be willing to believe that which we see that we do not see in the darkness of time. So the revelation of truth, revealed by shining light on darkness, must slowly and surely be revealed. So when the blindfold is removed, we will accept the truth which we now see. And that is, for all of us, a process. That's why the Lord gives us a few years to get it. I mean, it takes a few years to get sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of the, listen, a lot of the church, I'm telling you this, a lot of the church struggles with grace. I mean, the church just wants to earn. It just wants to do. And it likes doo-doo. You know, I like it is done. It is finished. It is complete. But we don't have to earn anything. I mean, we are a performance-based culture. You know, we are just totally performance-based. And it's such a struggle when you try to tell people it's not by performance. It's not by, it's not by works. And they constantly, I mean, I don't care. They can be your best friends. And they, all of a sudden, they don't, they don't like to be your friend, you know? We're conditioned. Listen, we're conditioned. 
We're conditioned by school. We're conditioned by universities. We're conditioned by college. We're conditioned by friends and their voices. We're conditioned. And a lot of people are conditioned by the sacred desk, what they get from the pulpit. But we're conditioned for famous, per, excuse me, performance-based spirituality to focus on our sin and to see our lack. And that is a learned mindset. And it's hard to unlearn. I don't know about you, but when I, when I discovered grace, it took me a while. I had to literally, myself, I had to literally stop reading the Old Testament for a long time until I got it. Then I was safe to go back and read some of it on the basis of what I knew about Jesus. But if you try to just keep reading it and say, I'm in grace, I can just do anything, you're going to have problems because you can't mix the two. And if you try to mix them, you're going to end up with law. You don't end up with grace. You go straight back to where you started. You know, and on Candyland, it's okay, but in life, it's not. I know it's okay to go back to, uh, go back to start when you're on Candyland. <laughs> but life is a lot bigger than Candyland. But us having to earn my place in Christ is far from the truth of the all-encompassing work he did on the cross. Jesus has already set us free. And we are only learning to walk in the fullness of his freedom, his peace, his joy, and his redemption. Because we are in Christ fully redeemed. Not half redeemed. Only parts and pieces. No, it's not that way at all. See, for many, truth can be very painful to accept. But when slowly revealed, we cannot live a lie any longer. We then must live the truth. We must learn to speak the truth. How? In love, it says. On every front. Not just in relationships, but in every front. In Bible training and everything. And when you're searching for the truth, you'll at some point begin to lift your blindfold from your eyes and accept as truth the conclusions that you reach. This process of the revelation of truth works best. Why is it important at this time? Because we've been played, I'm going to tell you this, we've been played by the media for years to be conditioned to lies. And they ain't, they're, they're, they're even now doing it harder and stronger. Many have been brainwashed by propaganda to believe the lies that support the agenda of the enemy. I mean, the enemy wants you to live like you're defeated. He doesn't want you to live victoriously. So you go, you go to church, you get, you get maybe 30 minutes for me, then you go home and you watch TV for eight hours. Whoop! It just, whatever went out, whatever, shoop, just goes out the other ear. We've been lied to about events in the, our past and about individuals that we deal with our present. We cannot restore the truth in our nation without repentance. Repentance has nothing to do with just sorrow. It has a change of mind, metanoia. It's a total changed mindset. <clears throat> we cannot repent without revelation of the lies and acceptance of the truth. So don't be lulled into readily accepting what others say. Because somebody might, you might be talking to that you trust may not have it together either. Search for the truth yourself. Do the research. 
Say, do the research. Connect the dots. Draw your own conclusions. My prayer and desire is for our nation, America, to return to truth. Stand steady. steady. Speak the truth in love. I've got here on my, you can't see it, but I've got here on my paper a picture of a, t a new t-shirt I'm going to make. And here's what it's going to say. I am no longer a conspiracy theorist. And then I'm going to have the American flag right in the mid middle. And it, I'm going to say, I now identify as, as I told you so. End of story. And I'm not even Paul Harvey. Speak the truth in love. Be fearless in the face of fear. As believers in Christ, we are called to be unified. We're called to be one church, one body. And the enemy knows this, and he'll do everything he can to tear us apart. One of his most effective tactics is holding a grudge. When a grudge or offense is built up against someone else, it's one of the hardest things to tear down. Proverbs 18.19, you have that up there, John? Proverbs 18.19 in the New Living Translation. It says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. You might have been taught as a child to forgive others and let go of grudges. And these tasks are much simpler to say than do. Our present generation is far too quick to get offended and far too slow to forgive. We are really, really good at bearing the pain and really, really bad at having honest conversations in order to work through it. See, God himself wants to show us how to live differently during this, these turbulent times. And if you think it's over... Listen, they're planning something greater than we've experienced yet. You've got to get ready. See, how to fight for unity, how to value all relationships. Our Bibles are filled with multiple examples of people being offended and needing forgiveness. As a matter of fact, many of the greatest Bible heroes has come to forgive others, including Jesus as he hung on the cross. Any relationship is best maintained through the power of forgiveness. If you can't forgive, you might as well not even plan on If you're single, don't even plan on getting married. Because offense, if offense is powerful, forgiveness is even more powerful. See, God allows offenses to come so he can teach us the beautiful yet difficult power of forgiveness. And as we learn to release the things we have held on to, we open the door for God to shower us with his incredible goodness and blessings. There's only, you know, there's only two responses to offense or grudge. Run, see ya, or stay and talk. Most people, you know what they do if they get offended? See ya. I know somebody right now who hasn't been in church in seven weeks because of an offense. I know somebody right now. And they, when I talk to them, they don't want to talk. They avoid me like the plague, like I got a sickness or a disease. Let's go to Psalm 133. 
verses 1, 2, and 3. There's only three verses there. But it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. <coughs> Excuse me. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon. I've never been there. I've never seen Hermon. So I don't even know what he's talking about. Descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. How good and how pleasant for us to dwell in unity. Amen? See, God is true to his promises. And I'm going to do, in the future, I'm doing a study right now on how God's promises provide for us miracles. When we know the promises of God, we can't help but be, be miracles just flowing all around us. But God is true to his promises. When we choose to live in forgiveness and have forgiving lifestyles rather than offense, God's blessings are free to flow through us. Our present world, again, is quick to judge and get offended. But if we want to experience the fullness of God's blessings and the fulfillment of his promises, we have to take the first step forward. Forgive. I know there's a scripture in the Old Testament. <laughs> You're going to get, I hope you get this one. If you don't forgive men their sins, I won't forgive you of your sins. It's in Matthew 5. It's Old Covenant. Old Covenant, I'm sorry. A lot of stuff that Jesus spoke about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was Old Covenant. You got to get it. The Bible says, Paul says, rightly dividing the word of truth. You've got to be able to discern and divide. Otherwise, you're going to get mixed up and you're going to mix the covenants and you're going to be miserable. You'll be miserable. I was miserable for a long time. But I'm not miserable anymore. But if we want to experience the fullness of God, we've got to take that first step forward to forgiveness. See, God sets the example in taking the initiative to restore broken relationships. Here's a, here's, a, here's a perfect way to find out. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, verses 8 through 11. Powerful scripture here, 5 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, <coughs> we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Amen? These words speak of when we were totally undeserving of forgiveness. Jesus gave up his life for us. He died for all of our sins. He didn't put them on a scale to see how bad they were. He didn't pick and choose. He didn't judge what was fair to forgive and, that, and what wasn't. No, he simply gave up his life on the cross to offer forgiveness for all our sins. Once 
and for all. Amen? Past, present, and future. Before we can truly forgive others like love, we must recognize that we are a forgiven people in Christ because of His finished work. And despite all the terrible things we have thought, done, and said, God loves us and loves to forgive us. Amen? And when we show that attitude toward people who have hurt us, betrayed us, or offended us, we will stand out and be noticed as a people that is different than others. Because most people, when they're offended, won't forgive. They'll hold a grudge. I mean, I know people who have, they're holding grudges when they were kids. In the family, when they were growing up, they're still holding a grudge against their family member to today. We will open ourselves up to receive blessings, and we will become a blessing to those around us as well when we learn to forgive. It's something you have to learn. It's something you have to practice. It's something that you have to do constantly, especially now in this world, especially now. There's no clearer example of blessings that come through forgiveness than one guy is my favorite guy in the Bible. His name is Joey. Joey. Joseph. I call him Joey. Is that okay? It's okay. His story is a story of jealousy, hatred, violence, betrayal. And guess what it came from? From the family. In the overwhelming power of grace, Joseph was one of the youngest sons of a, na a man named Jacob. And his story begins in Genesis 37. And the Bible doesn't hide the fact that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Joseph had two dreams about his brothers bowing down to him and also his father and his mother. And he told them about those dreams. That was his mistake. <coughs> <coughs> eventually the favoritism and the dreams were more than Joseph's brothers could handle and they allowed their insane jealousy of him to take control they kidnapped him sold him into slavery and marked his, mocked his arrogant dreams if there was ever a time when a person deserved to be offended Joseph earned that right Joseph was taken to Egypt where he was sold to a ruler named Potiphar. And Joseph served Potiphar faithfully for 11 years. God's grace and wisdom shine clearly through Joseph as a result. And Potiphar made Joseph the overseer of his house. But just as things were looking up, everything fell apart. Potiphar's wife made a move on Joseph and tried to convince him to sleep with her. But he refused. In fact, he ran out of the house, and before he could pull away, she ripped off a piece of his clothing, yelled for the servants, and accused Joseph, Joey, of trying to rape her. As a result, Joseph was sentenced to prison again. Amen? Joseph could have been bitter. He had every right. But he refused to allow it in his life. Joseph eventually got out of prison. In a crazy turn of events, he was elevated to second in command over all of Egypt because the famine struck more than Egypt. Joseph's, Joseph's brothers eventually came looking for food 
for help. And when they stood before Joseph, they didn't even recognize their own brother. You know why? Because in their mind, he was dead. We sold him. They had to kill him. They had to get rid of him because he doesn't fit in. But he knew who they were. Joseph had the power to kill them or lock them up forever. Right there. At that point. At first, Joseph hid his identity because he wanted to see if his brothers had truly changed. And eventually, he revealed himself to his family. They were understandably terrified of retribution, but he assured them that he would not harm them. Supernaturally, with God's help, Joseph had the capacity to forgive them. Did you hear what I said? Supernaturally, with God's help, Joseph had the capacity to forgive them. How, you ask? Joseph saw beyond what others could see. He recognized God's hand at work, and he was able to forgive his brothers by acknowledging God's greater plan. In Jer- and in Genesis, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 45, verse 8, <coughs> he told his brothers, It was not you who sent me here, but God. We have to be able to see the greater plan. Because if we think we're fighting flesh and blood, we're confused. We're confused. Because the Bible tells us we don't fight flesh and blood. And when we go through hardships, it's easy to feel like someone else put you there. But you are not there because of someone else. You are there because God allowed you to be there. God knew what was going to happen, and he knew that he was going to be what was going to be beneficial for the benefit of Joseph's family and Israel's family and Israel's salvation. No matter how bad and hopeless things looked, God can allow circumstances to elevate you to serve others. But it's up to you. It's up to me. Though to determine how you will respond to difficulties. Because if you don't think they're coming, they're coming. They're coming. And if you are in the middle of a trial related to, to some offense, and you're holding on to that offense, you may feel certain that God isn't there for you and that he won't bring you a miracle. Well, you are probably right. He's likely won't change your circumstances until you learn to forgive. Because he's just waiting for you to do your part. Forgive. Amen? Holding on to a grudge can keep you out of the will of God for a long time. And it's no one's fault but your own. And when you hold on to offense, God may withhold miracles and blessings for your own protection. Why is that, Pastor? Because God knows when you are hurt and you are bitter and angry, He can't give you much power because you're going to use it to hurt yourself and hurt others. Hurt people, hurt people. Because you will hurt others and won't allow anything to happen. And when you are operating your life from hurt, you are likely struggling with insecurity and selfishness. You're having a pity party most of the time. Being offended makes you feel like a victim, which makes you more likely to allow anything and everything you gain in life to prop up your fractured ego. How many know what ego stands for? Edging God out. 
And I'm sure that Joseph did some deep soul-searching in prison. Thirteen years. He has to face his anger. He's got to face his trauma. He's got to face his fear. But he was able to process those things and turn to God and genuinely forgive his brothers. He's just like the prodigal father. We call it the prodigal son. But when the son took his, all of his wealth, the father's wealth, the father maintained forgiveness. So when the son came back, he didn't have to work through it. It was already prepared. He was already practiced up on forgiving. <laughs> and that was the same thing with Joseph. Joseph was already practiced up on forgiving. So when the brothers came or somebody came, he would be willing to automatically able to forgive them. Took, they took that first step to forgive. And that's when all heaven started working in Joseph's favor. In an old book many of us have read years ago called The Bait of Satan. How many's ever read The Bait of Satan? There's a quote in that book that says this. A person who cannot forgive has forgotten how great a debt God has forgiven them. Forgotten. And the question is, do we really understand what God did for us? He sent his son to save us as the ultimate demonstration of forgiveness. Despite everything we have done against him, what right do we have to hold resentment towards someone else? See, to forgive is one of the greatest yet most difficult things we can do in life, yet it's the doorway to the greatest blessings. Joseph set an example for our present day. Rather than holding on to bitterness or seeking revenge against those who offended us, it's time to trust God's greater plan. God knows what he is doing. And if, he can, if we can't align ourselves with his grace, the same grace he showed us, we will be a catalyst for good everywhere we go. Because forgiveness really helps a lot of people. Amen? We will enhance... Change that word. We will enhance our trajectory and that of those around us through the power of, ble of the blessings of forgiveness. Like Joseph, we must overcome. Marie last week exhorted us at the end on the ways to overcome. Because when we need it, if we're offended, we need forgiveness. And sometimes you offend somebody, you don't even know you do it. And so you still need to forgive. Amen? And we t as we turn offense into forgiveness, God will mature us, elevate us, and carry us on to victory. We will step into the calling that is upon us at this present time to be blessed and to be a blessing in whatever we do. Amen? That's my message.
I like to close with these two scriptures, one in Luke, Luke 12, 2 and 3, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms, it will be proclaimed on housetops. And then 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, it says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each man's praise will come from God. Amen.